you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. We are in week two of the Blessing My City uh, series, and uh, this is the, sort of the wrap-up after two years of being on this vision, this campaign that uh, God has led us on. And last week, we were reminded that Jesus is sending us just as the Father sent him. And we talked a little bit about what that job description is. It's that we would care for the parish that God has placed us in, that we would be blessings in the cities that God has planted us in. Because God's desire is that the whole world would be blessed, and so he has sent his church, he's sent his family out into the world for just that reason. And so we're talking about how God desires us over Lake, his church family, that we would be agents of transformation in the world, that we would be agents of transformation in our neighborhoods and in our communities where it is that we are living currently because we're not there by accident. And while we're there, we're to be sent there, kind of have this mindset that Jesus has sent us there for a reason. And the reason is, it has to do with his kingdom, that, that, that we would be um, you know, participants in expressing his kingdom and revealing his kingdom and bringing his kingdom into uh, wherever it is that we're living, wherever it is that we have influence. So there are three metaphors that we're going to talk about today. These are all from Jesus, so these are all from his heart, his words, and they're kingdom metaphors that, that we're going to try to embody. So if you're following along, the first metaphor that Jesus uh, talks about is salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt obviously adds uh, some flavor. It's a, it's a type of seasoning. And, and so many times, right, uh, maybe you've heard this taught about in church, that salt is a preservative. In fact, in the pre-refrigeration days, they used salt to preserve meat so it wouldn't go rotten as quickly as it's prone to do. And, and uh, sometimes that's how you hear it taught in church, that, that we are the salt. We're to preserve this rotten, you know, fetid kind of a world. It's rank and it's disgusting, and we're just going to preserve it as long as we possibly can. And how do we do that? You know, the Christian community asks. Well, we make T-shirts. That's what we do. We make T-shirts to preserve the meat. So instead of Gold's Gym, we have a shirt that says God's Gym. Uh, that'll do it. Instead of Coca-Cola, we have a shirt that says Jesus Christ. Or instead of Budweiser, we have a shirt that says Be Wiser. Uh, and, and that's about it. You know, it's, it's rotten, and so we're going to preserve it. And and that's, you know, preservation. That's sort of the, that strain of, of thinking. But Jesus was actually using another strain of thinking when he talks about this metaphor. Jesus wants us to add flavor. Jesus wants us to make life and friendships and neighborhood and community more enjoyable. And he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So we're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You know, ironically, salt doesn't lose its flavor, hardly, hardly ever. In fact, uh, salt, that's one of the most stable chemical compounds on earth. 
So it's not that Jesus is saying salt does lose its flavor. He's saying if salt loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Do you just add salt to it? Like, it's worthless at that point. And uh, it reminds me of a joke I heard a comedian, Stephen Wright, tell. Uh, He said, I bought a box of powdered water, but I didn't know what to add. Some of you will get that a little bit later. The, but the point is, like, the, the, you know, if, if the thing that makes a thing a thing isn't a part of that thing anymore, what is it? It's no thing, right? Like, and if the sun loses its sunniness, how do you make it sunny? If, if awesome sauce loses its awesomeness, it's just sauce. I, I forget it, but... The, the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus is saying, look, if, if you have to add salt to salt to make it salty, just discard the salt that's not salty, right? The, the, he's not saying that happens. Here's what he's saying. He's saying salt must be salt. It can't other. And that's, that's true for us. So, that we're the salt of the world, and, and, and we're designed by God to, to bring the flavor, right? It's representative of joy and wisdom of God that makes life more enjoyable. And so I want you to think about bringing joy to others in your neighborhood, bringing joy in your communities, bringing, building confidence and speaking life and listening well and caring deeply because those are the models that Jesus establishes for us. Now think about all of the ways that he is the salt as he lives out his earthly ministry, as he flavors, as he seasons the areas that he's doing ministry in. It's not just the healing that he brings, although that's beautiful. Think about the first miracle that Jesus performs. It's at a wedding, and it's a celebration, this reception, and it's a cultural event. Everyone's having a great time. They're celebrating the bride and groom, and the wine runs out. And so his first miracle, the display of the kingdom of God on earth is this, that he has them fill up jars with water. And then he says, now take it to the host. Let them taste it and see that it's become wine. And it was the best wine that anyone there had ever tasted. And the celebration continues more richly than before. I found a quote from Pastor Jeff Vanderselt. He says, every culture has celebrations. Your job as a Christian is to engage in the celebration. We bring the better wine. We bring what is lacking. We ought to party like crazy because we actually have something to celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus. What he's saying is celebrate good times. Come on, okay? And, and the goodness and the wisdom and the joy of the Lord, celebrating all the things that there are to celebrate in this world that God created in blessing. Our Father's heart is his desire to bless the entire world. If for some reason you missed last Sunday, please catch up online. I, I want you to see that our Father created this world in blessing. And his desire, his first covenant with Abraham is that the entire world, that all the families of the world, all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And if you're here and you're a person of faith, you are a descendant of Abraham. And, and our desire, uh, or the desire of the Father's heart is that we would be the blessing in this world. Now notice 
blessing, I said. Blessing is not control. It's actually not good for Christians to be in control, to make the rules, to tell other people how they should operate, what they should do, what they should think, how they should live, etc. That's not the role that Christians are good in. It's far better for us to be the servants of everyone because that's what Jesus modeled. Jesus, the son of God on earth, said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It's, it's far better for us to be in that kind of a mentality, following after Jesus. And it's, it, it's one of the ways that we spice up our communities with love and with care. So the question I want to ask is, how are you seasoning your neighborhood? How are you spicing up your community? You're the salt, man. Your job is to go around shaking all day long. Shake it off. Shake it off. Taylor Swift? No? Okay. C.S. Lewis has a great analogy of salt. He, he says this. If you could imagine somebody who's never tasted salt before, and they see you having a meal, and you put a little bit of salt on your steak, and, and they see you put a little salt on your broccoli, and for dessert, they see you, you're going to have a salted caramel for dessert. If someone had never tasted salt they would imagine that you have now made everything taste the same. But that's not what salt does. That's what ketchup does, but that's not what salt does. Okay. What salt does is it actually brings out the unique flavors in each of these items. So, so the steak, it, the more of the flavor and more of the uniqueness you enjoy, and the broccoli, more of how broccoli is supposed to taste, and then salted caramel, I don't know what delicious slice of heaven we got salted caramel from, but it's a beautiful slice. And, and you just see, it, it just brings out the uniqueness Right? I want you to understand that God is not interested in uniformity. He doesn't want everyone to look the same, think the same, be the same. That's why he created variety. No, no, he loves variety, and there is so much beauty, and there is so much of God's glory reflected in the uniqueness of each and every person. And our job is to pull that out of folks, to celebrate to be blessing as we delight in others. I met two amazing individuals this week. Their names are Nicholas, age 11, and Destiny, age 9. And I, I met them. They were the children of some friends of mine. I, uh, I was visiting them. I was in their home. And, and uh, these two little ones, they had actually overcome some early life trauma uh, their parents are part of our Refresh, a foster and adoption care network. And, and uh, so it, it was so much fun for me to meet them. I only had about 45 minutes with, to spend with the kiddos. Um, but in that 45 minutes, I, it was my delight to take delight in them. I wanted to celebrate everything that they wanted to, to share with me. And so Nicholas, it turns out, was a master craftsman with the Lego and so I celebrated all of his artistry and the, the creations and the structures that he was making with Legos. And Destiny, it turns out, is this cutie pie nine-year-old music aficionado. 
And she wanted to talk with me about music and songs. And, and she said, oh, 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 I have an iPod, and it has all my favorite songs on it. Can I show it to you? I said, go get it. So she runs in a room. She grabs her iPod. She comes running out, and she says with the tiny little most angelic voice you could imagine, she, she pulls the songs up alphabetically, and she says, oh, she says, do you like ACDC's Thunderstruck? And she pushes play, and you could just see her parents are mortified, right? The blood just drains from their face. And they're, no, honey, no, I'm sure Pastor Mike doesn't want to. Don't you have any worship music or something to play, you know? And I said, I said, Destiny, I go, listen, you're not going to believe this, but in my house, I am in charge of classic rock education, and absolutely, the joyful wailing of ACDC is a part of the curriculum. So, yeah, of course. And, and she just smiled real big. And the parents, the blood came back to their heads. And, and the celebration continued. But the idea is I want you to see all I wanted to do was just be a little seasoning. All I wanted to do was bring a little blessing. And, and Jesus says, you're the salt. Right? You're to add the flavor. You're to draw that uniqueness out, if you're filling in the blanks, the thing you need to note is that salt spices things up in our parish. It spices things. It makes things more delicious. It reveals the unique flavor of these relationships that God has given us. Let's take a look at the next metaphor. Then the second metaphor is the metaphor of light. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Light of the world. Now, one of the things light does is light exposes things. It reveals things. And, and so often that's what gets taught in church. And there have been a few times when I've taught it like that as well. And so you could just imagine if people take that train of thought, you know, you are the salt. Salt preserves that which is about to go rotten. And you're the light of the world. You reveal the fetid underbelly of this dark and stinking world. How much fun to live next door to somebody who thinks like that. That their job is to expose and reveal. I'm going to find out what's broken about you and then tell the world, you know. So much fun. It's the, no wonder why Christians have such a bad reputation. Right? We think we're the sin cops of the world. How much fun to live next door to somebody who's filled with judgment and condemnation, who you can never be safe or relaxed around. No, no, no. We're missing the point if that's what we think. And that's not what Jesus has in mind in this passage. No, no. He, he says you're a city on a hill. Your light shining out in a dark night. These things represent refuge. They represent comfort. They represent safety. Last week at Overlake, I met a man named Simon, and he wants to replicate what we're doing with Blessing My City at his home church. He lives in England. And I found out in our conversation that one of the, 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 the day job that Simon has, what he does day in and day out, is he's a lighthouse repairman. And so he gets on a helicopter and he flies out to these rocky crags of islands right off the coast of Great Britain. And he makes sure that everything is functioning properly. And I, I was thinking how comforting it must be 
to be sailing those stormy seas and to know that the lighthouse is going to be shining out in the darkness. How deadly when it's not functioning properly. Think about the metaphor of a traveler traveling through the dark of night and how encouraging it is when the lights are still on in the windows. And that's the guiding that I need and that's the comfort and refuge of home. What's the first thing you do when a child wakes up terrified from a nightmare? You turn on the light because it brings comfort. It eases fear. It brings peace. You see... This is what the Lord has done for us. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's his heart. His heart is to be our light, to be our salvation. And we who have received his light and his salvation, now it's our turn to shine and to reveal his heart to the world. In fact, Matthew 5.17 in the message paraphrase says, You're here to be the light, bringing out the God colors in the world. We're to be the light. We're to shine brightly. And in the contest between dark and light, you realize that there is no contest, right? There is no contest. It's not like you're talking about two equals battling it out, dark and light. Now, the reality of the universe is not yin and yang. You see, light is a thing. Light, light is a thing. Light travels rather quickly, I understand. Light, 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 it, it, it exists in the form of waves, in the form of particles. It, energy, and I don't understand, it boggles my mind what light is exactly, how it operates exactly, but it's a thing. But darkness is nothing. Darkness is just empty space waiting for the light to show up. You know what that means? It means darkness is simply an opportunity. And, and God has invited us as bearers of his light to step into that opportunity and to, to bring his comfort and to bring his safety and to shine his love in all of the areas that he has called us into. If you're filling in the blanks, light extinguishes the darkness in our community. And so we serve people with what God has given to us. We care for people out of how God has cared for us. Where we have life, we share life. Where we have light, we share light that brings comfort and brings sight into the darkness. And, and if we're not adding flavor in our parishes and if we're not adding comfort in our parishes, then we're missing the main thrust of what it is that Jesus wants his followers to understand. Yesterday, we had a memorial at Overlake. It was for a friend of mine named Jim Guile. And Jim, this was a man who lived the light of Jesus. He served Jesus faithfully. And how many of you might have known Jim you might have known that he was one of our ushers. All of our ushers are incredible, but Jim was an usher. He always served up in this front corner. So he was the usher that I got to personally interact with all the time. Every time I came in, I would just chat a moment with Jim. And, and I want to say this about Jim. Jim was quiet. Jim was diligent. Jim was faithful. 
Honestly, week in and week out, rain or shine, sickness and health, Jim was here. He was serving Jesus faithfully. I want you to think for a second about how impressive that is. Every week, I don't think he ever missed. I can't even get my elders to come every week to Overlake, and Jim's here all the time. I mean, so faithful. And he lived his life shining the love of Jesus. There was story after story in the memorial about this man of integrity, this man who knew hard work, this man who knew how to serve. See, I want you to understand that this was an incredible light. And at 53 years young, on a construction project, there was a fall. And Jim's journey on this earth has come to an end. That's not the end of the story. No, it's just the beginning of a story that will go on forever and ever. And I bring this up to say that we honor the light that Jim shined in the world. And it's our job to pick that up and to carry that mantle with us. Some of us have a tough time talking about this. And it's almost like we cannot celebrate the light that is being you know, revealed through our lives, the good deeds that we end up doing. We don't want to tell anybody these things. It's this idea we have to be humble so we can't say a word about it. But you do realize that Jesus is the one who says, hey, you got to put your light up on a stand. you got to let your light shine out for all to see. And there's a reason for that, Jesus says. It's so that God gets glory from all of this. This is what he says, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So shine on, friends. Shine on. We're to be the salt. We're to be the light. The third metaphor that Jesus uses is the metaphor of leaven. So here it goes, Luke 13, 20. Again, Jesus said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And I use the New King James Version there because it uses the word leaven. Some of the other translations use the word yeast. And it's really tough for me to call you all yeast. But I'd I'd rather use the word leaven and And here's the deal. If if you want to write down something on your notes, you just need to write this down. A little leaven lifts the lump, okay? A little leaven lifts the lump. And Jesus is talking about just a little leaven folded into three measures, right? The whole thing gets gets lifted. And and, uh, you might be asking yourself, well, how much is... Three measures, and again, you might want to write this down if you're doing some baking today. Three measures is just over two pecks, and uh, how much is two pecks? Several bushels, I understand. My, my, uh, my grandma used to sing me a song. Uh, it, it was, uh, it, I won't sing it, but the words were, I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck. And, and I just remember saying, Grandma, I only st- understand what one of those things is, the, the hug. So uh, anyway, just 
Just so you know, uh, this idea of just a little bit of leaven, it, it permeates the whole thing. It mixed in and the whole thing rises. And the word that I want you to focus on in this whole metaphor is the word lift. If you're filling in the blanks, leaven lifts up those who are down. Leaven lifts up those who are down. Think about an aroma for a moment, a particular smell. You know, we, we understand how closely aroma, smell is associated with memory. It's, it's profoundly linked for us. Uh, you need to understand that a, a particular aroma, it can actually change your outlook on the day. It can change your perspective in the moment. That, that just a smell, right? You, you know, it's amazing how God has made us, but, but how powerful that sensory moment can be. It's why if you go to the mall, they, they pipe Cinnabon smell everywhere in the mall, right? And, and so your, your mood is like lifted and you're remembering grandma's house and you're remembering, you know, it's associated with all kinds of good and deliciousness and you breathe it in deeply and you get a cavity immediately and, and you just, you see that there's just such power associated with, with this idea of smell. It can lift things. Pastor Pat was talking at a, a Good Friday service, and it was, it was so well done. And that's so why I asked his permission to share this teaching moment. He, he was talking about when, when Peter betrayed Jesus. And when Peter betrayed Jesus, he, first off, Peter was certain he never would betray him. He just said in front of all the disciples to Jesus, I'll never betray you. Even if I go to your de death with you, I'll, I'll never betray you. And, and then the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter was hanging out in the courtyard. There was a fire in the courtyard, and three different times, different people ask, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Don't you know him? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And Peter said each time, no. No, I swear I don't know him. Denied him three times. And after the third time, the, the, the rooster crows, instantly Peter understands exactly what he's done. The full weight of his sin descends on him like an avalanche, and he weeps bitterly and he runs away. And the Gospel of John records that, that in that courtyard, as Peter was spending the night around a fire, the fire, a detail that's noted, it's, it's a charcoal fire. And so forever after, Peter is going to associate the smell of a charcoal fire with defeat, with shame with the memory of his own brokenness and self-preservation and his lack of spiritual integrity. After the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and prepares breakfast for them. It's one of the most beautiful passages in all of the scripture at the end of the Gospel of John. And in that moment, Jesus does his beautiful work of redemption. He's always at work with redemption. And he does this work of redemption with Peter, where he asks Peter, do you love me? 
do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? And, and, and Peter says each time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus so gracefully asked Peter three times, do you love me? Giving Peter an opportunity to profess his love three times so that it undoes, it kind of covers over and redeems the three times that Peter denied Jesus. But what's interesting about the detail of the Gospel of John is that Jesus does all this around a charcoal fire. It's the only other time in all of the scripture that phrase is used. And the reason is because Jesus knew that Peter was going to be the disciple on whom the church was built. Jesus knew Peter had a great mission. He had a great purpose for his life. There was going to be this incredible ministry that was going to flow through Peter. And Jesus wanted every time Peter was at a cookout, every time Peter was at a, around a campfire, every time Peter was on some mission and they were grilling some fish, he wanted Peter to associate that moment with his grace and with his redemption so that every time Peter would be reminded of the love of Jesus that has lifted my head. You see, Jesus knows how to be one who lifts. Jesus knows what it's like to pour courage in and to encourage someone who's in need. In fact, the scripture says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Please circle the phrase, lifts up. See, God has lifted up our head. The Lord Jesus Christ with his grace, his love, his mercy, he has encouraged us, he has lifted us, and now we have the honor of lifting others up. I got an email this week from Amber. Amber's an overlaker, and she's been involved in caring for the folks in our safe parking ministry. She wrote this last week. This afternoon, my husband took our two older children to Fred Meyer to do our weekly grocery shopping. Noel noticed a homeless man there, and approached him, striking up a conversation. In the process, he asked if there was anything he needed, or perhaps could I buy you a meal? This man named Jeff replied and said, in all honesty, I could really use a sleeping bag. My husband bought the warmest one he could find and asked if it would be okay to take his picture with our kids so that he could send his wife the photo and share the story with me. He happily agreed, and I received this picture with my husband's text, $20 to try and be more like Jesus. See, that's a, that's a leaven moment. That's a, that's a lifting moment. It's an encouraging moment. There's this incredible woman named Pascal who serves as our mental health counselor at Special Delivery. This is a ministry that uh, Overlake uh, partners with, and it, it's in Woodenville, and it serves unhoused pregnant women. And I want you to watch this video and see how she seeks to be uh, an encouragement and a lifter. Go ahead and watch this video. My name is Pascal Wright. I'm a mental health counselor at Special Delivery, and I wanted to share with you a little bit about my journey walking alongside the women who call Special Delivery their home. So I came to Special Delivery three years ago and started working with the women who were part of a program that was changing and was looking at women more holistically as women, as mothers, looking back at their past and looking toward their future and how to be self-sustainable. And in that process, one of the changes that took place was the desire or the need to offer these women counseling, to work through some of their woundedness, to work through their pain. It provided these women a place where they could look back 
on their journey and see patterns and seeing ways that have kept them bound. As these women enter the program, I'm able to sit with them and they're able to, to sit in a relationship, sometimes for the first time, where they can explore themselves and who they are. It allows them to see a truth that they haven't seen before. As women begin to embrace this part of themselves, they see themselves very differently. A more compassionate side emerges in them. They're able to find new meaning in their stories. And instead of viewing their journey through critical eyes, they're able to see their journey as what has brought them to this place and embrace that part of themselves. It changes me because I see their story and my story as one. It bonds me into this community of the wounded, those who are seeking healing. The story that God is writing on them is a unique story to each of them. It's my desire that these women see their spiritual journey, see their creator as someone who desires them, who's forging a journey with them, and who walks alongside them. I wanna thank you for letting me share today a little bit of the passion that I have for the women who call special delivery their home. What I want you to, yeah, you can applaud that, that's great. What I want you to notice is, you know, Pascal, she's saying, I want to be a change agent. And I want to, to enter in and, and to do some care and some listening. And, and as I listen to their stories, I, I want to be close to them, but I also want to be an encourager. I want them to see that God's been a part of the process. And, and, and yes, some of the choices they've made have led them to here, but this is not accidental that God is meeting them here and carrying them forward. And what I want you to see most of all is that these metaphors, you need to understand that it just takes a little bit. It's just a little bit of salt that makes the whole thing more delicious. It's just a little bit of light. A tiny candle beats back the darkness. It's just, it's just a little bit of leaven mixed in and the entire thing gets lifted. And, and that's what Jesus is calling us to embody. Again, if you're filling in the blanks, like salt, we're the ones who add the flavor. Like light, we add the encouragement. Like leaven, we lift the whole. And God has given us a singular tool in order for us to be the salt and to be the light and to be the leaven in our parish and in our community. And that tool, it is, it's so profound and it's so powerful and it's so simple. It's the tool of love. What Jesus says to his disciples is this, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I know that love, talking about love in church, it can be so familiar that it's easy to be dismissive. Yeah, yeah, I know the love thing, but friends, there are no buts. This is the thing. This is the powerful thing. This is the thing that Jesus embodied perfectly. This is the model that Jesus set for us. This is the path that Jesus invites us to travel. It's, it, it's this pathway of love, powerful, sacrificial, serving-oriented love. What the scripture says is this, 1 John three fourteen. we know we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love 
remains in death. You see, the whole thing is about this idea of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And, and if we're not living that life, if we're not seeking to embody a lifestyle of love, then the scripture says, then we're missing out on the life that Jesus has invited us into. And it's going to be stretching and it's going to be uncomfortable. And for some of us, it's going to be radical. But this is what we're called to. Pastor Jerry Cook says this. He says, the minimal guarantee we must make to people is that they will be loved, always, under every circumstance with no exception. The second guarantee is that they will be totally accepted without reservation. The third thing we must guarantee people is that no matter how miserably they fail or how blatantly they sin, unreserved forgiveness is theirs for the asking with no bitter taste left in anyone's mouth. Otherwise, they will not risk themselves to be open with us enough to receive healing. And you hear that quote, and you might say, well, Mike, that's, that's pretty out there. That kind of love and that kind of acceptance and that kind of embrace and forgiveness, that's, that's, that's big, and, and that can be exhausting, but certainly that's outlandish. And I would say, absolutely, you're right. It is outlandish love. That's what we've seen over the course of these last two years that God has been leading us on a journey of outlandish, sacrificial, self-giving love. And if you're filling in the last fill-in here, these three kingdom metaphors of salt and of light and of leaven, they're metaphors of outlandish love. Metaphors of outlandish love. Metaphors that will stretch us, meta metaphors that will, that will spur us on to follow the example that Jesus set. I want you to watch this video of our safe parking ministry. Uh, here at Overlake, one of the expressions of the Blessing My City campaign and something we pursue as a church is this thing called outlandish love. Outlandish love is not the kind of love where you expect something in return. It goes way beyond that. It's, it's not proportionate love where you do something for someone and they do something identical in return. It's, it's, it's way beyond that. It's, it involves sacrifice. It's a self-giving sort of love where you really lay down your life for someone else. As we've looked for ways to care for our parish and for people in need in our community, we continue to hear over and over about the needs of the homeless community and the dramatic increase of, of people who are unhoused and the needs that they have, and we knew we had to respond. We, we knew that this is something that God was calling us to. We rallied together to uh, provide what we believed would be an outlandish response to, uh, to the needs that we were hearing about. And so it was out of this that our safe parking ministry was born. So more than just an overnight parking spot, we are creating a safe place for folks to come and be cared for, where we're able to provide case management, opportunities to access other resources in the community for jobs and next steps for housing. Uh, we, we share a weekly meal together, and, and, and most importantly, in all of it, we're building friendships, we're building relationships with our, with our friends here uh, as they come and experience what Overlake's all about. Hi, my name's Tom, and I'm the groundskeeper here at the church, and I count it a privilege to have these guests here in our parking lot in the safe parking program. And, uh, you know, everyone's here for a reason, but I believe God brings them here for a reason. Um, and I just count it a privilege to be involved in this ministry and to see the direction that the church is going in. 
actually here at the church, people have listened, taken into consideration about what we've gone through and not judged us just by on the fact that we are homeless. Since we've been at the church, I should say, there have been nothing but blessings and things to help us get in the direction we need to go as a couple. And, and you know, it's not a perfect program by any means. There are all kinds of deep needs that are represented. There's all kinds of messiness and brokenness. But as we wade in and as we meet our, our friends here, our guests in the, in the parking lot, uh, we realize our own deep need and we realize our own messiness and our own brokenness. And, and in those moments of sitting with them, Jesus is present and that's when transformation occurs not just in their lives but in ours too and so I'm really thankful that as a church family we get to be in the pursuit of outlandish love receiving outlandish love and showing outlandish love and that's the sort of thing that will continue well beyond uh, the end of this campaign. One of the things that we have sensed over these last couple of years is that this is not simply a vision that God has called us to for, for a two-year time frame, but rather he's called us to this vision for two years so that it might actually change the DNA of our church family. That, that this might actually be the foundation for how we read the scriptures and for how we pursue our faith and for how we live our lives out as followers of Jesus in this northwest area that God has placed us in. And, and what I want you to see is just a snapshot of what happened this week on Monday when Sheila prepared a meal for our folks in safe parking. That was a salt moment. On Tuesday, when Josh and Pat helped dis connect displaced residents in their parish to local resources, that was a light moment. On Wednesday, when Linda, a member of our HIV AIDS care team, advocated for a man living in isolation with AIDS so that he would not lose benefits critical to life and health, that was a leaven moment. On Thursday, when Dave shows up at Eastside Academy to have a mentor uh, lunch with his student, that is a salt moment. And on Friday, when our student ministries headed out to do their backyard mission trip, that is a light moment. And then all of it comes together on Sundays when our parishes gather together in this place. Where we give glory and honor to God for all that he is doing. For all of the grace and the love and the kindness that he's poured out on us. And we celebrate how he's using us. And we're seeing the church break out all over our parishes. Where salt and light and leaven are taking place as we embody these kingdom metaphors. It's a beautiful thing. And friends, we're just getting started. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, we're so excited about that. So right now, if I could ask you to bow your heads, and why don't we just go to the Lord. Jesus, we do love you. We are thankful for you. We're thankful that all of these things that you taught, you also modeled for us. You embodied these realities. You are the lifter of our head. You are the light in this dark world, and you are the salt. You make everything more delicious, and we are so thankful for how you have called us by name and how you have graced us and forgiven us, how you've given us a purpose, and you've, you've sent us out into the world as the Father sent you. Now we are sent in order to be salt and light and leaven. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us the courage to know how, how we might engage 
how we might begin conversations, how we might seek to communicate your love. We know we're not here by accident. We know we're not living in the neighborhood that we're in or working in the, the community that we're in or how, how we normally travel in, in the region that we're in, have the influence that we have. It's not accidental. But Jesus, it's for the purposes of your kingdom and for your glory. So would you please show us how, make us courageous, and let us follow you into this week. Let us be the church, and let us be blessings in our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.